Welcome to the Dildork Storky Discourse on sex, dating, and masturbating. My name is Kate Sloan. I'm a sex journalist, a sex blogger, and one time I wanted to fuck someone significantly less upon finding out that they did not like musical theater. So that's what I'm all about. Who are you, friend? I'm Bex. I'm a sex educator and a sex blogger. This episode's probably just going to be a lot about how I'm bad at feelings, but here we are. (laughs) (laughs) Aww. That's cute. We wanted to do an episode about demisexuality and demiromanticism, which are uh, two identities that we each respectively have. And uh, my partner... I don't know that I specifically identify as demiromantic. I like... Okay, you were telling me a while ago that you did, but... I wasn't sure if you actually landed on it or not. Yeah, no, it's it's something that I've, like, toyed around with the idea of. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not something that I, like, would strictly list as an identity if someone was asking me. Mm, okay. So yeah. let's define these identities, because uh, I think a lot of people don't know what the hell they mean. Um, yeah. I certainly had never heard of demisexuality before someone came out to me as demi. Um, so demisexuality is an identity that is on the asexuality spectrum, meaning that like it's somewhere between being a sexual person and being an asexual person. Um, and it basically means that in order to form sexual attractions, you need to have an emotional connection with someone. Uh, and I had a partner who identified this way and the thing that made me understand like what he actually meant by this was that I asked him so like when you're walking down the street you like never see anybody who you think is hot and you would like to fuck and he said no like that's just not how his brain works and uh that to me like really explained what demisexuality means because at the time that was a very foreign experience to me I was like wow like I can't imagine never wanting to fuck someone I see on the street but uh Mm -hmm now that's my reality Uh, (laughs) do you want to try to offer up a definition of demi-romanticism I mean it works very similarly romantic attraction works on a similar spectrum to sexual attraction right you have folks who experience it more or less than others and we experience it to different types of people in different genders Um, someone who identifies as demi identifies somewhere along the way of that spectrum between a person who identifies as having romantic attraction and an aromantic person or someone who identifies as uh, someone who doesn't Mm -hmm. Um, so I think honestly for me what's most interesting about all of this was even just discovering the differences between romantic and sexual attraction, Mm, uh, which is not a conversation we have. Yeah, it's true. Um, Like even the ideas of uh, homo romantic and hetero romantic Mm -hmm. are not words that are thrown around nearly as much as hetero and homosexual are. Yeah. Because we think of our romantic and sexual attractions as innately linked, and I think something that's interesting about these identities and just the spectrum of identities in general is that it kind of separates those two a little bit and allows us to look at not only how uh, the different ways we can relate to people and the different ways we can feel about them. Yeah. Um, the Some people define demi-romantic as, uh, like what you said like basically on the spectrum between romantic and not but uh there are some people who view it uh as being similar to demisexual in the sense that like you can't develop a romantic attraction to someone unless you have an emotional connection with them which uh someone in my dms was uh understandably confused about that because uh isn't romantic attraction in itself a type of emotional connection so how can one sort of preempt the other And uh, I looked into it, and a bunch of people who are demi-romantic distinguish between primary and secondary romantic attraction, where primary romantic attraction might be like you meet someone and immediately you think they're cute and you have a crush on them, Uh, which certainly happens to me all the time. Uh, but, uh, then there's, like, secondary romantic attraction, which, like, for a demi-romantic person might be the, the main or the only way that they experience this, which is, like, they get to know the person better, they have an emotional connection, and then they develop romantic feelings. Um, which I think a lot of people would listen to that and say, well, that's just how feelings work. Like, that's just a normal way to experience feelings. And, like, that was my struggle when I started hearing about these identities, was that I was a little bit, like... 
well, why would you need to differentiate that? But that I realized in retrospect, it's definitely because I'm demisexual that like when a partner came out to me as a demisexual, I was like, but that's just how attractions work. And it's like, actually not for everybody, uh, just for some of us. And I mean, also, I think that is a very similar experience a lot of people have for relationships. And I think this like gradually becoming attracted to someone, uh, as you get to know them and not necessarily being inherently sexually attracted to people is something that is relatable for a lot of folks and especially a lot of folks socialized as women. Yeah. Uh, and I think identities exist so we can claim them and use them as shorthand for our own experience. Yes. And just because an identity matches your experience doesn't mean that you need to take that identity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's not up to you or anyone else to define things for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there may be some folks who this resonates for and don't want to identify as demisexual or demiromantic and like, cool, you do you. Yeah. And for other people, finding community and finding a name and a shorthand to describe themselves to others mm-hmm. can be really powerful and really valuable. Um, and there are a lot of communities that I found a lot of strength in that and stuff like these demi identities where I've like looked into it and been like, yeah, that more or less, like, similarly explains my experience, but there's a lot of other stuff I have going on, too, and it's not the identity that, like, particularly resonates with me. Yeah, I I think, like, one really common criticism I hear of these identities is, like, why do you need a word for that? Uh, Especially from... But, like, why not? Exactly, like, that's kind of (laughs) my feeling, like, it doesn't really take away anything to let people have a word for these things. Like, I think the concerns come up for me when people start acting like they're persecuted for these identities in the same way that, like, queer or trans people are. Which, mm-hmm. like, not to get into oppression Olympics too much, but, like, I I don't think it's as big of a deal in terms of, like, potential violence and stuff that you would be facing. Although, I do want to note that uh, rates of sexual violence uh, perpetrated against folks in the asexual community are, like, pretty high, and that is totally a thing that happens. But I think some people prickle at the idea of, like, coming out as demisexual or demiromantic as if it's, like, an oppressed identity to the same extent that, like, being gay or being trans can be. And and I, I get that criticism. I think that, that makes some sense. Yeah. I, I mean, I think there's nuances to all of these identities. And, you know, there's definitely a lot to be said for the invisibility of a lot of these identities, mm-hmm. right? Because a lot of that degree of oppression that comes with queerness and transness is also that those are in the forefront. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you talked about never even hearing someone talk about demisexuality, yeah. um, where I doubt there are many people in at least America mm-hmm. that have never heard of queer people yeah. over the age of, say, 13. Right. right. Someone somewhere has told these people that, like, gay people exist and they have a model that they can look at and go, oh, I can be like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the degree to which that feels accessible to them can vary wildly based on circumstance yes. and environment. Yeah. Um, but also being able to look to something and see, oh, I could be like that mm-hmm. is really powerful and important. And the lack of that can also be really hard in very different ways. Yeah, I I really saw the impact that that can have, that that type of speaking out can have this past week because I wrote a blog post basically coming out as demisexual, but it wasn't really that dramatic to me because I had already mentioned it on Twitter a bunch and this is like not a new thing for me and I didn't think of it as a terribly big deal really. But a ton of people wrote to me and said, like, thank you for writing this piece. I realized that I'm demisexual or like I've grappled with these feelings for a long time and I didn't know, you know, what name to put on them and stuff. So it was really powerful to see like how much that helped people. That's nice. It was actually, I had a very similar experience through coming to my transness because models of my transness uh, are not super visible. I'm actually really excited to go to a workshop at a Woodhall that mentions this briefly. Um, and some of this language is even just coming from the description, but the, uh, for me, my, transness wasn't really rooted in dysphoria or a feeling of discomfort around my gender, but a feeling of gender euphoria when I started to explore it. Mm -hmm. So 
being a girl didn't feel terrible all the time, I guess. But being <laughs> a boy feels fucking great. Yeah. So, like, uh, and it's, you know, transness is always kind of pictured as this avoiding of this terrible feeling. Yeah. And I didn't see myself in that picture, so I didn't see a future of myself through transness. Uh, so I think just being out there and having conversation of, like, this is my identity and this is what it looks like for me mm-hmm. gives people a lot of freedom to explore that. Yeah, especially, like, in the sexuality space, like, I think there's not enough discussions about asexuality and identities on that spectrum uh, within the sexuality space, and sometimes they get actively erased, and, like, that's why I really value, Mm -hmm. for example, our friend Taryn, who writes aceinthehole.co, which is a a sex blog written by an asexual person, um, which is fascinating, but I think, like, uh, in the spaces that I'm in, like the sexuality industry, it's just like all sex all the time. Like that's all we talk about really. Uh, well, that's not true, but it is a lot of what we talk about. And so, uh, I think that that's part of why it took me so long to come to this identity for myself because I was like, well, I work in the sex industry. Like surely I can't be on the ACE spectrum. Like that doesn't make any sense. Uh, but just, I kept noticing stuff that made me think, oh shit, maybe I I am. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, specifically in this community, there's a lot of pressure to be, like, into a very specific kind of sex. I mean, Mm -hmm. and we also exist at the intersection of millennial culture Mm -hmm. and, like, sex education, queer, kinky culture. Mm -hmm. And all of those cultures are ones that are, like, very comfortable in hookup culture. Yeah. And casual sex and play conferences and uh, play parties and all this stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it can be hard to find an identity that's kind of divergent from that, I guess, when you're existing in these spaces, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. So like one of the things that made me realize that I'm demisexual is uh, having a lot of casual hookups, like particularly one offs where like I really had no opportunity to get to know the person on an emotional level, like maybe one drink state, which is really not enough for that. And I would notice that depending on what was physically going on during the sex and whether it was working for me, like sometimes it would be good sex, but I wasn't sexually attracted to the person and i think that's Mm -hmm. an important distinction to make because a lot of people don't realize that you can have enjoyable sex without sexual attraction like it's absolutely a thing this is why not the uh, like not everybody who's asexual uh, abstains from sex um among other reasons but uh like there are tons of other reasons to pursue sex besides like being viscerally sexually attracted to the person that you're fucking including like fun pleasure orgasm stress relief intimacy you know there's like so many different reasons why you might want that and so I've come to this weird realization where I'm like there's so much sex that I've had where I was not sexually attracted to the person I was fucking and yet some of it was good but then also some of it was bad for that reason or for other reasons you know so Mm -hmm. it's been useful for me to have that word to kind of like filter my past experiences through to make me feel a little bit less broken about times when sex just wasn't working for me and I didn't really have the language to understand why. Mm -hmm. I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. But tell me about um, Demi romanticism. Like when you were considering that this might fit you, like where did that come from? So a lot of it comes from, I am not a person who has, who generally really craves uh, romantic relationships. I don't, I, do, I don't find the experience of NRE comfortable or pleasurable or something I like look forward mm-hmm. to. Uh, but one of the reasons I kind of moved away from the idea of uh, demi-romanticism is that NRE is still something I experience. Mm-hmm. Um and I, I mean, I'm sure there are definitely folks who identify as Demi who experience that as well. But for me, like, romantic attraction does exist. I have experienced it. I don't enjoy it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, uh, but also a lot of that, I've also done a lot of work, um, and I think we'll get into this a little bit, but I've found a lot of the origins for those feelings are in past experiences of mine. Mm -hmm. Uh, and 
a lot of my struggles with relationships and romantic attraction um, are things that are rooted in experiences I've had uh, and even in like relationships through childhood, family and things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, And their coping mechanism, there are a lot of coping mechanisms that I've come up with to deal with the fact that relationships don't always feel super safe for me. There are things I want to work on and change about my experience of myself and relationships. Uh, So for me, that's not something that I'm latching onto necessarily as an identity. Mm -hmm. Um, That's not to say that other people's life experiences haven't brought them to this point. And I think for some folks, if they're super comfy feeling that way Mm -hmm. and they can point to pieces of their past, like there are, not to say fetishes and sexualities are the same, but there are definitely like kinks and fetishes that I can point to things in my past and be like, so that's where that came from. Yeah. But I love it and it is a piece of me and I will cherish it forever. Right. Uh, and I think you can totally do that with identities and relationships to sex and sex and relationships. Uh, but for me, I don't super love where my, uh, and also, I th- I'm sure there are people who experience this as a core piece of their being, because there are definitely other fetishes and pieces of my identity that mm-hmm. I have that I'm like, I'm just like this. This yeah. is just how I am. You just, you're just going to have to have that. Uh, and I don't, th- I mean, you're at the debate of nature versus nurture, and yeah. Yeah. there is no concrete answer, and I don't know that there's necessarily a point to dig and find one. Yeah. Um, well, it's a, it's but, it's a debate that happens constantly in the asexual community, or rather, like around the asexual community. <laughs> I think most aces, like uh, you know, probably have have come to some sense of peace about like the origins of that, if they even think that there are origins. But um, because there's a lot of people who believe, like, why would you become asexual unless you had experienced sexual trauma? Uh, which is absurd. It's it's just as absurd as the people who think that, you know, all lesbians have experienced sexual trauma and that's why they're lesbians, right? Like, that's not yeah. usually how it works. But at the same time, it that's not never how it works. Like, I have spoken to folks who, because of sexual trauma, have lacked uh, sexual attraction or interest in pursuing sex uh, to one degree or another. It's totally a thing that happens. And that was one of the questions we got was like, is it possible to become Demi due to societal influences or life experiences? Like the example the person gave was like, if you've been hurt by men so many times that could you get to a point where you need that emotional connection in order to feel sexually attractive because you would need to feel safe uh, in yeah. order to to comfortably pursue that. And, like, I think that, honestly, that is a big piece of it for me. Like, I can't know for sure because, like, we never know where these things come from in our brain, really. But because my demisexuality is, like, fairly new, like, within the past few years, I do think, like, having a lot of terrible casual sex, like, <laughs> didn't help. And uh, also, like, having a lot of, like, abandonment issues due to, like, semi-traumatic past breakups uh, definitely has made it so that I have a hard time getting turned on if I don't feel emotionally safe. So, you know, it's kind of hard to pull apart all of those pieces. So demisexuality feels like just an easy way to kind of sum that all up. Yeah. I think one thing that's interesting is that you described your demisexuality as being new, as kind of popping up over the past couple of years, Mm -hmm. which I think is going to be interesting for a lot of folks, especially folks who don't identify. Do we have straight people who listen to us? (laughs) Surely, right? I mean, we must. I get, (laughs) hi, I get, welcome? Yeah. I don't, sure. (laughs) Um, But I think for for folks who don't identify as queer, um, the fluidity of uh, orientations and identities might seem a little odd Mm -hmm. uh, or unfamiliar, right? The idea is, I think the narrative at least that goes out about a lot of folks is that you don't become gay, you realize you're gay, Mm. right? You, you know, you have a, you know, moment of self-reflection and it, it, you know, and this deep reckoning with yourself. And then you come out to the world about this truth about yourself. Mm -hmm. And it kind of speaks the idea of truth, right? That it is true. It has always been true and it will always be true. Mm -hmm. Um, Stability. And yeah. And something I, 
the way you're experiencing this identity seems to be a little different from that. And I wonder if you can kind of talk to talk about that a little bit. Yeah, it's very strange, like, especially as I said, being a sex blogger, like I'm literally known for writing about my sexual exploits. Um, but the the reason that I know that it's new is that I have kept journals for so many years. And so I can mm-hmm. go back and read what I was thinking and feeling at certain times. And when I was about 22, 23, 24, which was like the height of my slutty phase, I would describe like going to parties or being at school and like meeting new people and like immediately being into them and like thinking about what it would be like to fuck them and stuff, just like idle fantasies like you do. And Mm -hmm. uh, I don't do that anymore. Like it's really weird, but that just like doesn't really happen to me anymore. Um, I have lost pretty much all motivation to do like Tinder and OkCupid and stuff because I'm just like scrolling through the bios looking for something that could feel like an emotional connection to me, but it's not (laughs) enough. Like it's text. Right. Mm -hmm. So I just uh, like, you know, there were, there were years in my sex life when I hooked up with like 12 to 14 people in the year. And now I've only been having sex with the same two people for the past like year and a half. And I'm fine. I'm not like missing my sluttiness because uh, I feel close to those people and I don't feel like I need anything else right now. But yeah, it was very weird, like noticing that switch. I really don't know quite when or how that happened. I'm curious if uh, any of that, because you say you are having sex with two people relatively consistently that you feel emotionally close to, but they're people that I also know happen to be really good at fucking you. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm curious if you feel like just being satisfied and having mm. reliable, safe, comfortable access to sex is making you less likely to want to pursue or seek out these other fantasies. Like, did you fantasize when you the last time you were in a super long-term relationship? Mm. Yeah, well, the last time I was in a long-term relationship, I wasn't identifying as Demi yet. I don't think I was mm. Demi. And it, I was dating someone who was Demi. So, like, I saw the stark contrast between the two of us. Like, I remember one time we went out to this party, and I was just like, there were people all over who I thought were cute <laughs> and wanted to flirt with. And I was there with my partner, who's, like, the most monogamous person on earth. And uh, and he was just, like, not feeling it and he told me later that night he was like that was the most demisexual i've ever felt in my life because like (laughs) he just wasn't into anybody except for me and it was this weird situation um but yeah i i've been confused in the past few years about like why people pursue one-off hookups like it's it's become something i almost can't even fathom why that would be enjoyable which is weird because as you know like i used to do them fairly often um but i think it's just like for me, I know that the sex would be bad and also I wouldn't be attracted to the person. And I think if only one of those things was going to be true, then I would be okay with it. <laughs> like, I can go have, like, okay sex with someone I'm really into and that would be reasonably fun. But yeah. that's just not going to happen after one drink date, you know? <laughs> so. See, that's interesting because that's the same reason I don't use dating apps mm-hmm. is because I have almost never met someone in a text-based medium and, like, been attracted to them. But for me, it's because I need to see their mannerisms and their movement, the way Mm -hmm. they carry themselves, Mm -hmm. Uh, which is fascinating to me. I've noticed it more when I've seen, like, actors playing different roles or whatever, Mm -hmm. where I'm like, oh, that affectation on your body, I'm into. But, like, this other one, like, with your shoulders that way or something, like, not so much. (laughs) Um... So it's very much I need to see them, like, in person, in movement, interacting before I can be into someone. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think that's very much the same reason that I don't do... I mean, I, like, I have Grindr and Scruff where... And there have been so many times... So I have not had a dick in my mouth in almost a year. Wow. Which is absurd. I know. I've been having lots of great sex with great people with vulvas. It's Mm -hmm. fine. Like, I'm loving it. It's fantastic. But dicks, though. Yeah. I like them. And I I vaguely remember myself as being someone who was known for blowjobs. Yes. (laughs) So I'd like to get back to that piece of myself. Yeah. Um, It's a poor piece of your identity. (laughs) 
right? Uh, and I... <laughs> Demi-identities, not so much. Blowjobs, though. <laughs> yeah, talk about blowjobs. Yeah. But, like, I've... I, like, And there have been so many times where I've been like, shit. I could, like, I've opened Grinder and been like, I could have a dick in my room within the hour <laughs> if I wanted. Like, I live in New York City. Yeah. And there are a lot of gays in my neighborhood, too. Yeah. Uh, so, like, I could, there, I have opened that app and it's been, like, X amount of feet. And I'm like, oh, you're a couple of floors above me. Like, you're in my apartment <laughs> building right now, aren't you? Yeah. Um, like, Just Uber so a I, human to yourself. Like. Yeah. But there, like, I... I never have. Yeah. Because I just, there's just too much of a likelihood that I'm either going to not be into the person mm-hmm. or the sex is going to be bad. Like, I will have bad sex with someone I'm into. It's fine. Yeah. Like. Yeah. Because, or good like, sex with someone I'm not into. Because like, bad sex can still be fun or funny or at least a good story or uh, maybe it's like emotionally good even if it's physically logistically not good you know like but if it's just all bad like I just I don't care I'm busy I'm tired you know like yeah but I do appreciate having the apps like I do appreciate knowing that they exist because if I was ever in kind of an emotional emergency situation where I just really needed to get fucked or to connect with someone in in one of these kinds of ways like it's good to know that it's there Mm -hmm. but uh it's it's kind of like last on my list at this point I just but I'm interested to know actually your take since you were mentioning about like enjoying people's mannerisms and stuff. I'm seeing an influx of dating apps that are trying to deal with that problem specifically. And some of the ways I'm seeing it are like you have to put voice recordings on your profile or you record a little video of yourself. Mm. And um, I actually had a friend in high school who dated this guy off of OkCupid and he, in lieu of one of the sections on his profile, had just linked to a video on YouTube of himself telling a really funny story. And she was absolutely like swooning. And so was I. Yeah. Like I watched the video. I was like, this dude's such a charmer and it wouldn't have come across in his profile, you know? So do you think that stuff like that would help you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think Tinder is the one that do- does like the little video loop now and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And even that I enjoy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've also learned to look for other indicators in the picture. Mm. Um, so not only am I looking at the picture of the person to see if I'm attracted to the person, but looking at things like, which, like where are they? Which pi- What types of pictures did they choose? Yeah. Like, they're the type of person who picked this picture. Mm-hmm. What does that say about them? Yes. Um, so looking to things like that has been helpful. But yeah, I find like videos and stuff, a voice recording would not necessarily be great uh, for me personally, but I know it would be for uh, tons of other people. Yeah. But yeah, I like that opportunity to add a little bit of your humanity back into it. Yeah. I I used to have a roommate who would always phone screen her Tinder matches before going out with them in person. She would just like mm-hmm. have a phone chat with them, which I admired the bravery because I don't think yeah. I would ever be bold enough to tell someone to do that uh, off Tinder. But I also think like that's such a great thing to do. Like for me as a demisexual, that would help me a lot because it would sort of give me a head start on developing that emotional attraction that I need. Uh, in a space where you can't have sex. So I wouldn't yeah. be able to like be rushed into sex that I'm not feeling attracted enough for yet, which is kind of nice. Yeah, I love that. Because I also have never, like, I cannot make myself care enough about a person <laughs> from a profile to leave my house to go see them. Yeah. Like, that's that's really what it is. There. There's no, there are so many other things in a profile that I can convince myself not to care about mm-hmm. that I just... So having a conversation with someone on the phone, I think, would, like, almost humanize them a little bit mm-hmm. and make me more excited to meet a human and have a conversation with that human Yeah. versus images on a screen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The other thing I like to do for that... I haven't done it much recently because I I haven't been on the apps, as I said, (laughs) but um, I did find it useful when I was on the apps to plan dates that were like middle of the day, like lunch or coffee or something, 
which is for two reasons. First of all, we're not going to be having sex, probably. And secondly, like, the other person knows that we're not probably going to be having sex. So, like, I put myself at ease by, you know, sort of setting those expectations in this really, like, subtle, low-key way. So it's not Mm -hmm. quite as intense as me straight up being like, just so you know, I'm not going to fuck you on the first date, which I think would come across as, like, kind of a weird move, even though (laughs) I should be, I'm well within my rights to set that boundary, but I think that that would come across as a little bit weird. So that's one way that I think would be good to deal with that. Yeah, and I think that makes a lot of sense because I think when someone hears that, they think, oh, so we're not having sex this time. Right, yeah, which is nice, yeah. It's also a nice way to, like, keep something brief because you can say, like, Mm -hmm. oh, you know, I have an hour lunch from work or something Mm -hmm. um, and meet and talk to someone for a little while. Uh, I find it easier to go into situations when I know I have an exit strategy already set up. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's really helpful. That would be really great for that too. Yeah. I wanted to talk a little bit about the idea of being a demisexual slut (laughs) because, uh, for a time I kind of was, Mm -hmm. and I still consider myself like ideologically a slut. Uh, Mm. even though I'm not, I'm not slutting it up in the conventional way that most people think of that word right now. But because um, someone had asked this question, a listener question, about, like, whether demisexuals can have casual sex or is that, like, anathema to the whole thing. Um, and as I said, like, there are other reasons to have sex besides sexual attraction. And so, like, the most successful casual sex experiences that I've had since being demi have been things where we were doing kink stuff because that has like a novelty factor and a fun factor for me that almost like divorces it from the need for sexual attraction. Like, yeah, I don't need chemistry for like an impact scene. Yeah. I need to like get along with the person reasonably well and have good communication, but I don't need to like know them super well. Whereas like if I'm having vanilla sex with someone I'm not sexually attracted to, like no, like I would just rather be on my couch with my vibrator. Like it's just, it doesn't sound fun to me but it's very hard to do kink things by yourself and uh and like especially because like so much of what i enjoy about kink is like the connection and the intimacy um which you can actually achieve in like pickup play like you know it's a different kind of intimacy but it exists yeah a lot of a lot of i mean kink for me satiates i'm realizing more and more Uh, And I know I've talked about this before, but the same way I relate to kink, the same way I relate to play Mm -hmm. or games. So like if I would play a game with this person Mm -hmm. and they happen to have specific kink skills that line up with mine for Mm -hmm. something like rope or impact or whatever, then I would be super down to play with that with them as well. Mm -hmm. In a a lot of cases, Um, I don't necessarily need like sexual attraction, Um, but for something more... uh, intense and emotional and whatever obviously that's going to take uh more of a connection with people but i think that makes sense Mm -hmm. that actually makes me wonder if it would be good for me to like do kink before i have sex with someone (laughs) um and there was actually one situation where well actually my, my current partner they spanked me on our first date and we made out, but we did not have an opportunity to have sex. So that's interesting because, mm-hmm. you know, we had a, a month of texting after that to develop attraction. So for the Demi in me, that was quite good. But I also had another uh, relationship thing sort of where because of issues going on in his relationship, we were not allowed to have sex. And so we had like a drink state with one kiss. And then we had like a second drink state where there was like spanking in an alley and that was it. And then on the third day we had sex. And it, by that point, I was like, raring to go. Like, I, I don't mm. need, like, a super lot of emotional connection. Like, I'm not, like, that far toward that end of that spectrum. But I do need it if I'm going to be into someone. And I, I remember that I, it was, like, one of the only times in that time period when I was, like, actually excited to have sex with someone for the first time and, like, looking forward to it. Which is probably not mm. a great sign about, like, my choices at that time in my life. <laughs> And I think that can be fun for folks who experience all different kinds of sexual attraction to mm-hmm. really draw that out um, a little bit. Yeah. So I think 
if you're a person who doesn't identify as Demi, who is playing with someone who does, mm. I think there are definitely ways to eroticize that. Yeah. And play with that. And I'm not talking about fetishizing someone's identity, because that's gross. Don't be like that. <laughs> um, yeah. But there are ways to be like, okay, these are the rules we're playing within. Mm-hmm. Sure. Let's see, you know, what we can do that feels good for both of us in this little playground that we've created. Yeah. Uh, and how can we amplify that sexual tension? And how can we, oh, you're starting to feel the beginnings of it. Well, how do we kind of play with that a little bit mm. and intensify it until we get to a point where we're both comfortable having sex, whatever that looks like. I love that you can just turn literally anything into kink and flirting. You're just a wizard in yes. that way. <laughs> <laughs> But yes, yeah, I, I, I Well, I've had a scene recently where I was playing with someone who, because of relationship stuff, we weren't having sex yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we we're like, okay, well, we're not going to kiss. We're going to keep clothes on and everything. But it's amazing what you can do to someone without kissing them or taking their clothes off. Yes. Like, there's a lot of options. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This so, is like, this is one of the things that frustrates me about hookup culture as it stands. Um, even before I was feeling Demi was that I feel like there's no emphasis on like waiting. And I mean, which sounds weird coming out of the mouth of a slut. Cause like you hear so many arguments about like, you should wait if you like respect yourself or like you should wait until like after marriage or whatever. I'm not talking about it in like a puritanical way. I'm just saying sometimes it's really fucking fun to wait. Um, you know, I, I liken it to when you cook something for yourself and you eat it like while it's still too hot to eat, like Mm -hmm. you can get it down your gullet, but you're not going to enjoy it as much as you would if you like let it cool down to where you could taste it, you know? So, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and to clarify, like the idea of eroticizing this is not about like finding what you can get away with. It's about finding things that you're mutually excited about. Yeah. And things that do feel good to both of you and th- and ways that you can kind of hack and play with their sexuality together mm. um, and make it, I mean, this should be collaborative. They should be a part of the experience. Yeah. Uh, and talking about, okay, well, in your experience of demisexuality, what what feels good at this point? What sounds good? Uh, what do you know of yourself from other relationships? And mm-hmm. play with that stuff. Yeah. Now that I'm thinking about this in terms of, like, turning Demi into a kink tool, uh, I don't know if this is a Demi thing, but my partner has learned that, especially if I'm high, sometimes if they just talk to me about, like, really romantic shit, like, retelling stories from early in our relationship or, like, talking about future plans and stuff like that, I will get absurdly turned on in this way that makes me feel very, like, basic bitch, vanilla, like, you know oh yeah talk dirty to me about commitment and safety like (laughs) but i think it's probably a demi thing because it's like oh yeah like that's where my sexual attraction comes from (laughs) it's fun though like because my partner likes to do it in a way where it, it is like kink topping in the sense that like i see them using the same strategies that they do when they're trying to get a reaction out of me in a kink scene where it's like they'll find the buttons and then they push those buttons harder and they go looking for other buttons and um, it's it's really astonishing to watch and, like, super fun. Yeah, and I think the parallel there, and I think what's really powerful, is that these identities and finding language for the ways you experience your attractions, mm-hmm. uh, we can unpack them the same way that we talk about with kink. And finding this language can help us learn more different things about ourselves and more ways to hack our own brains and bodies. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know where I was going with that. But <laughs> No, that's good. You want to do some listener questions? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, someone had a great question. What is the difference between demisexuality and responsive desire? Or how did the two influence each other? Uh, we've talked about responsive desire a lot, but just quick recap, it means that usually you don't start feeling aroused until sexual stimulus is already happening. Um, so maybe you need kissing, touching, dirty talk, and then you'll start to get turned on as opposed to lightning bolt to the genitals, sudden, spontaneous sexual, uh, arousal. Mm-hmm. Um, I have both of these things, demisexual, responsive desire. Um, it is interesting because, uh, it means that 
in most situations, I do not want to have sex. But when I am with someone who I am attracted to and feel safe with and who is good at turning me on, I want to have all the sex forever. Like, never want to <laughs> leave my bed. Um, so, I mean, that's kind of like the demisexual slut thing, right? Like, I am a slut very much for a few particular people. <laughs> like, they can use my holes however they want, basically. Um, because they're just like, I, I trust and know that they are good at turning me on in the ways that I need including having this emotional connection, but also including just like knowing the right ways to touch me to get my responsive desire going. So uh, I think there were, there would be a lot of partners who would struggle with like turning me on and, and that kind of thing. But because the people I'm with right now are very toppy and like enjoy getting reactions and enjoy kind of operating me like a machine, like that's a very compatible thing for us. So I think my partner thinks of it kind of like a puzzle, like what's going to turn me on today, you know? <laughs> uh, one thing I think you keep coming back to this discussion of uh, sluttiness and demisexuality. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think, I think it's just helpful to talk about uh, sluttiness as not necessarily someone who has a lot of sex with a lot of people, but it's really something that's slung at, typically people socialized as women mm -hmm. uh, for ownership and enjoyment of their sexuality. Yeah, totally. Which is definitely something that you qualify for. <laughs> so like, <laughs> yeah. Um, but I know that there's definitely, uh, and I mean, there is like valid talk about, you know, we reclaim the words that are thrown at us mm -hmm. and sluttiness is thrown at people who have generally, who are considered promiscuous. But I think it's just an ownership of sexuality for anyone socialized as a woman yeah and it's it's interesting how like demisexuality as an idea like kind of mirrors a shitty cultural idea which is that mm. women in particular shouldn't have sex with someone unless they're like in love or like committed to that person or whatever like it's like weird for women especially to have sex in, in like a casual context uh, according to some elements of our culture and um the way that i kind of like subvert that for myself being demi is that like when i do have sex the sex i'm having is like very queer and very kinky and like very slutty and you know there's cum everywhere <laughs> it's just like it's a way for me I to just like make it as weird as possible <laughs> yeah because that that is important to me but it's just like i have a very limited amount of people with whom i want to experience that my sexuality is like yeah. very messy just contained mess you know <laughs> someone asked if i have sex dreams about individuals i'm not emotionally connected to which is such an interesting question thank you i love that that um, is. yeah, I was talking to my partner about this today, uh, cause like the weird thing is, you know how in dreams, sometimes you just have knowledge that like, you don't know where you got it. It's just like in mm -hmm. the dream, you just know things. So sometimes in my dreams, I am having sex with someone like a celebrity or like a stranger from my actual life who I don't actually have an emotional connection to. But in the dream, I feel like I do have an emotional connection to them. Like, I feel okay. like I've known them forever or we've just had an intense conversation or something. I had a sex dream once about Donald Sutherland, who is an old actor, quite handsome, but uh, out of my age range. Um, <laughs> and obviously, I don't know Donald Sutherland personally. I don't even particularly feel connected to him in like a fan celebrity type of relationship. But like in the dream, I felt very close to him. And like we had some kind of star-crossed lovers type of connection. <laughs> And so Obviously. maybe that is maybe that is a demisexuality thing. I don't know. <laughs> That's interesting. See, I I don't know what this means about my sexuality, but I never get laid in my dreams. <laughs> All of my sex dreams are sexual tension dreams, and mm. then I get interrupted or wake up. Our friend Brent I don't was know just if I've me. ever actually had like I cannot think off the top of my head of actual sex dreams that i've had i have dreams where people walk in on me before mm -hmm. i get laid like i had a dream that i was fucking someone on the staircase in my house don't know why <laughs> and my grandfather <laughs> walked up and was like the fuck are you doing which is reasonable because i was fucking someone on the stairs in the middle of my house like in the middle of my like house i grew up with like my childhood home oh, weird. <laughs> it was so weird um but yeah i've never had like i don't know if i've ever actually gotten laid in my dreams which really just 
checks out, honestly. Oh, interesting. <laughs> I have so many sex dreams about exes. And even like exes who I have no feelings for whatsoever anymore. Uh, oh, I think I had a sex dream about my ex once. Yeah, I think it's probably like a fairly common thing, but I also wonder if like I have them more than the average person because of being demi, because mm. like they are people who I had an emotional connection to, and so you know I'm not out here fantasizing about fucking new people in my life usually. So maybe my sex brain is kind of returning to people who it knows are safe in that way. Yeah. I mean, you also write about the people you've had sex with for a living, so they're probably more in the forefront of your mind. Yeah, it's than... true. They are swimming around in there. Yeah. That's like <laughs> that's like the filing cabinet that you open most often <laughs> in your brain, whereas for a lot of folks, it gets like filed away in the depths of right. the bowels, yeah, only yeah. to be opened with like a pint of Ben and Jerry's. <laughs> your shit is just right there in your desk drawer. Yeah, so. I'm plumbing those emotions on the daily. <laughs> it is not always fun. <laughs> Okay, someone had this very interesting question. Curious for your take on this. They wanted to know, would feeling romantic exclusively when submitting count as demi-romanticism? Sure. Sure, yeah. I mean, I, I, like, from what I've seen of this word, people use it in a somewhat malleable way. So, like, if that feels like the right word for you, I think that's fine. Um, I would say probably that to me sounds like you're on the gray romantic spectrum somewhere. Yeah. Um, and I find that so interesting that you would only experience romantic attraction when submitting. And I kind of like, that's not my situation, but I can kind of relate to that because I do find that my romantic feelings towards dominance just like have a different quality to them. Like I just get nervous in a different way and yeah. uh, the flirting just like feels different, hits me differently. Um, it is I, not always necessarily better than like a more vanilla romantic connection for me but it is just different and it is something that I miss when I don't have it and so I kind of get that yeah I mean that's interesting to me um because I I mean it's not inherent to submission but I can't imagine feeling romantically attached to anyone without a some sort of kink dynamic mm. as a part of it yeah um but I think that's just because uh, kink is inherent to the ways I relate with people in the world. Mm -hmm. um, it's, I think, more core to my identity than a lot of the, the ways I feel sexually about things. Yeah. Um, and it has always been. I fantasized about things that were kink before I knew they were kink and they weren't even, like, sexy things. Mm -hmm. uh, I used to, like little kid me used to lay in bed and daydream about fighting and wrestling with pretty people <laughs> every night before bed um like elaborate fight scenes and stuff mm -hmm. um and it, i mean and i access all those same feelings through kink yeah um so yeah i think you can absolutely i mean claim the demisexual label if it feels appropriate to you if you see that community if you see yourself reflected in that community mm -hmm. uh, or demi-romantic mm -hmm. i'm not sure which one i said <laughs> um, <That's fine>. <laughs> whatever <laughs> they got we'll go what with you it. meant yeah yeah um i mean fuck claim both claim either whichever yeah. whatever resonates with yeah. you um and just keep in the forefront of mind what you mean by that identity because someone's going to ask you about it. And honestly, a lot of folks, when you mention it, uh, may or may not have heard of it even before. So you're going to have an opportunity to define it as it applies to you. Mm -hmm. On the topic also of submission and romantic attraction, I also want to add, like, I have many times had the experience of mistaking feeling submissive towards mm. someone uh, for feeling romantically attracted to them or even in some cases being in love with them. And, uh, it, you know, it depends on how those feelings manifest for you. But for me, they can be very close. There can be a lot of overlap between those feelings because I get very, like, focused on my dominant and I really want to impress them and I want to make them happy, which are, like, things that I also associate with romantic love. And so sometimes I have had to look really critically at the, the dominance in my life and be like, is this actually romantic or are they just really good at flogging me? You know, <laughs> it happens. Yeah. 
Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Dildorks. Uh, if you are curious about the ACE spectrum, I would really recommend checking out Asexual Outreach, which is a website that has a lot of resources about this stuff. Uh, I wrote a big article for the Walrus last year about asexuality, and I talked to the the founding member of the Asexual Outreach, and they were fantastic. And uh, there's lots of good stuff out there. There's also Avon Wiki, and you know, there's just a ton a ton of stuff. Would recommend having a google if this interests you at all mm-hmm. i have been kate sloan you can find my sex blog at girlyjuice.net including uh where i recently wrote a post about coming out as demisexual if you want more lurid details about how i came to that realization um <laughs> so <laughs> lurid scandalous. details about all the, all the casual sex all, i don't have yeah all the sex i'm totally not having mm, delicious <laughs> Uh, the rest of my rating is at katewritesaboutsex.com. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at girly underscore juice. And please check out my other podcast. It's called Question Box. We talk about very personal things. Uh, we're on Twitter uh, at Question Box Show. And then uh, find us in your podcast app. Where's your stuff? I'm Bex. You can find all my writing at bextalksex.com. And I'm on Twitter and Instagram at bextalksex. Together with the Dildorks, we're on Twitter and Instagram at the Dildorks and at thedildorks.com. You can also find us by searching the Dildorks in your favorite podcast app. While you're there, rate and review us, brings us up in the charts, makes us easier for other folks to find. And if you want to help us out even more, you can go to patreon.com slash the Dildorks to throw a couple of bucks our way and help us keep doing what we're doing. Also, folks, just a reminder, Bex is still raising money to help with his top surgery, which is coming up in October. So if you want to throw a few dollars at him for that, please go to GoFundMe.com slash Top Surgery for Bex, and you would be a saint helping out a very good and lovely trans person. So thank you. Thank you so much to Protodome. He did our theme song. Thank you so much to Amy. She did our logo. And thank you to you for listening. Until next time, folks, get out there and live your sexy, dorky life. Bye. I feel like this is just me monologuing a lot. I'm sorry. No, it's fine. I've, I feel like I've said a lot. Okay. I mean, yeah, you have. I just, I don't want you to feel like I'm, like, steamrolling you. No, and I, you know how many episodes I've monologued through? Come on. (laughs) Okay. All right. Like, every trans episode ever. (laughs) Well, that makes sense. Um, This makes sense. Yeah, true. (laughs) 